is the Sackcloth Conspiracy. It's a podcast about crisis. Crisis in our relationships, our families, and ourselves. In it, you will hear our host, Josh Bob, and a variety of others share and unfold intense stories of crisis, paralysis, and death. Hey guys, welcome back to Sackcloth Conspiracy. This is episode two, but it's actually a continuation of episode one. We are dealing with loving a friend through tragedy, which is a topic that we really need in our society today, because a lot of times people will go through something and we don't know how to relate to them. So this should cover that. All right, so we're going to kick back in to me and Shelly and Joe halfway through a conversation about loving a friend through tragedy. This is the best piece of advice I think that I can give to anybody for a friend who's going through tragedy is call. Everybody can use this piece of advice. Call, call, call. You almost, you can't call too much. You would be assuming... Hey, everyone's calling these people. I need to give them some space and leave them alone. If we want space, we won't answer the phone. We'll screen you, but we'll still know. We live in an an age where there's caller ID. We can see that you've called. If we want to talk, we will. So my dearest friend, just within a few days after Ava died, she said, I have no idea how to be here for you. I don't know what you need but I'm going to call you every day. And I think she made a commitment to call me every day for the first year, if I'm not mistaken. And she said, I'm going to be here for you. And it's up to you if you want to answer the phone. But I'm going to make myself available every single day. And so for 365 days, she called me every single day. Which... I'm not saying that to that level is what everybody needs to do. But if this is your dearest friend in the entire world and you don't know what to say, just be there. Be available. Just call. And if you haven't called? If you haven't called, they know that you haven't called. If you see them out at the mall and you haven't talked in three months... They know that you haven't talked in three months. Don't say, oh, I tried to call you last week. Did you get my voicemail? No. That's because you're lying. <laughs> no. Don't, don't do crap like that. No, just recognize your crappiness as a human being and that everybody's uncomfortable and apologize. Because I would say an apology is a beautiful thing it goes a long long way yeah and uh i can see how it mended my friendship with um a dear friend after going through tragedy and allowed us to uh really become closer instead of further apart and also if you do Say you have a friend who's like a parent who's going through an illness with their child. Then you're out and about and you are 
aware that their child is still ill, if you come up to them and you just ask, how's life and how are you doing? Avoiding it. Yes. Avoiding it. Don't avoid. Don't avoid. It's like, it's so obvious and it's so much more hurtful. They want to talk about it. That's... That's something so huge that we've found is like a huge consensus with parents that have uh, sick children or, you know, that kind of a situation is to just recognize their pain and ask them how, how they're doing and how their child is doing. Don't just ask them, you know, hey, that's a cute nail polish color. You know what? You going to get your nails done? Like, oh, where'd you go on spring break? Shut up. How is your sick child? Yeah. And don't forget their child is sick. If it's somebody from church, like you might need to make a note in the inside cover of your Bible, whatever it takes. Like if there's someone that has a significant tragedy, remember. And this is coming firsthand too from me. Like I have sometimes problems. I'm going through a, the lobby of a big church. You know, our church is pretty big. Crossroads Bible Church. Shout out. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of people in the lobby, and so I've literally come home and made notes because I don't want to forget. You know, there's a guy who lost a daughter, and I've forgotten his name. So I had to write it down. I forgot his daughter's name. I had to write it down. Ask Shelly. Keep it like top of mind awareness when there's something that significant. Women Which, don't usually forget that kind of stuff. That's true. Men but, are dumb. But women, women are on Facebook all the time. You guys get reinforcement of the names. Facebook, Facebook can be a wonderful, wonderful tool when yes. it comes to that kind like loving, like loving people and knowing where they're at very true yes yeah just a shout out to our facebook page which brings us to our next point which is the point i like to call the point of grandpa john's dirty old toilet behind the barn (laughs) (laughs) destruction destruction in tragedy destruction and the letting out the purging the catharsis of someone's anger and violence frustration is a beautiful thing amen and this is a shout out to jay Babaruni. you know who you are who gave us um permission not just space he gave us permission and suggested that shelly take her anger out on an old porcelain thrown out behind her dad's house on in Allendale. I he had it he had it all set up for for me. Yep, with a sledgehammer. <laughs> yes. And, and Shelly just went to town and was giggling. Oh. And then I was crying. Yeah. It started with giggling. Like, what are you having me do? And then it was crying. Because it just all of a sudden I went from like, what are you this isn't going to help me. Yeah. Sledgehammer is too heavy. This isn't going to feel like anything. Feel like a feather after swing too. And uh, we ended up breaking all kinds of things. 
Yeah. I don't remember where he got my dad's barn is full of crazy stuff that can be broken. Yeah. Uh, what I did, we drove, uh, we drove straight out M45 in Allendale all the way to the, to the lake. And so I got out with my, you know, shorts on, whatever. <clears throat> so and I, straight oh. out to Lake Michigan. What did I say? No, out to the lake. So you have to get an idea that this, in most people's mind, looks like a pond. Oh, gotcha. So this is like in like an ocean almost because you can't see the other side. It's got yes. huge waves. And and so I run out in my uh, cargo shorts, run out into the waves and just start slamming into the waves as they come in, just expending energy, you know, and like just pounding the water so much so trying to make uh jason and brendan laugh sitting on the shore watching me so i was just being destructive you know taking out all this taking out all my anger little did i know the waves would get me back a couple years later (laughs) that's not funny that's true it's not funny but it was something i think it is interesting though for you it was an aggression of diving in water again. I mean, it is. Yeah. I don't know what the word is. Um, I've never thought about that. Kind of weird, huh? It is weird. symbolic almost. Yeah. It does bring up, I think, an interesting point. Where do you, where do you go with, with anger? Because you have a lot of pent up anger. Do you bottle it up? Do you let it out? Where do you go with that anger? Okay. So, Shelly got to smash a toilet. You can't smash a toilet every week. You can't go thrash around in Lake Michigan every day. So should we be angry? Should that be something even on the on the surface at all? And that kind of brings up the uh, the classic point that's what Ephesians somewhere in four in your anger do not sin. So we're allowed to be angry. It looks like even according to Scripture. So what we do with it, you know, is the is the point that can get us into trouble. So where does that verse even tie in with the, with the rest of Scripture? In Mark 3, it says, Jesus, talking about Jesus, looking at the Pharisees, Jesus is actually in the synagogue, and he's healed someone on the Sabbath. And it says he looked at them in anger, grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Right, so that's even something that can be on the surface, and we know Jesus didn't sin. You know, so how does that how does that play out in day to day life of someone grieving? Language is one of them. We do an awful lot of talking. There are not words in the English language that I feel like or felt like could convey the depth of despair. Yeah. Like the crushing pain that I felt like we were experiencing after Ava died. I remember sitting out there with Nate and Brian sitting on the basketball court. I remember looking out at the trees, a lot of trees out in Allendale, out around John's house. And it looked like there was literally a blanket of fog, something foggy um, between me and the trees. The grief was so thick. I felt like I couldn't even quite see things right in front of me. 
clearly, like visually see my sight even almost felt like it was affected. The grief was so, was so thick. And so because you can't, you can't somehow, you, you, there's no verbal way to explain the depth of how you're feeling. And the only way I knew how to do that was to swear and swear like a sailor. I'm not, I mean, and so, (laughs) dude, my wife, but what I find interesting is that just a few months ago, I was reading an article in the Huffington Post, which take it or leave it. It was a psychiatrist that wrote the article that was talking about people that don't emote and use like deep, uh, deep verbal words. And they were saying swear words in like in particular that they often stall their grief and the grief process. Wow. Yes. Because they're not able to express their grief deeply enough because the English language in general, there are not words anymore to express the depth of despair that you experience after the death of a child or after something as, as deep and um, as much of a crisis and disparity of watching your husband break his neck and not knowing if he's going to live or die and then finding out that he's going to be paralyzed for the rest of his life. Even in the Bible, um, we had a round table a few years ago, Good Grief, 2004. And Doug Padgett was there. This is just a group of like 15 people out of Lake Michigan at a beach house. And um, he was talking about sin And so in the English language, if you look at the Old Testament and it says sin, we read across that and we're like, so the Hebrews sinned against God and their sin separated them from God. Um, He was saying how sin doesn't carry the gravity in the English language that it does in Hebrew. Like the idea that sin separated the, the Israelites from God that they had sinned, he said basically is the the gravity in the Hebrew language would literally mean the Hebrews were fu- So yeah, I just, I echo what you're saying about, about language. There's not even deep enough words. Uh, I recall, I hadn't spoken to this friend until we were walking through the visitation line while she was burying her husband, and her son. And when I got to the front of the line, the visitation line, and uh, there's a connection between moms. And like when you are spending time with someone who has gone through deep, deep pain. And she she didn't say anything like a precursor or a, uh, like in expect, like this is not, this was not typical for how she talked. She was a pastor's wife. Uh, 
But she looked at me and she grabbed me and she said, you didn't tell me about the effing casket. And I remember immediately I knew how awful when I think about burying Ava, that picking out her casket was one of the worst things I'll ever have to do in my life. And uh, now we know that's not something that we had to do to have closure. Um, and, uh, but that was the first thing she said to me. Someone who is very refined, a businesswoman, uh, you know, pastor's wife, just, you know, all these very refined people. And she grabs me and says, you didn't tell me about the effing caskets. That's how you have to emote. And so if that kind of thing, if, if, if you question their belief system or their judgment or their whatever, get a, stay away. <laughs> yeah. Just get over it. Get over it. Yeah. Or keep, keep your kids away. Uh, you know, we, we had, we knew when we could talk like that and when we couldn't, our kids were around, we, we knew when to stay quiet, but let them emote for some reason. It allows you to express deeply and it does, it lets off stress. There is so much pent up stress. And for some reason that just lets it kind of at least out for the time being. Which, which gives a little bit of a, of a shout out to uh, to my wife, but also to a couple of things that Josh and Shelley Buck Family Ministries does. One, um, we now know that we can help a family if they've lost a loved one or especially lost a child, that we can help them pick out a casket or pick the clip art out to put on the headstone. And that's something that we walk through people with now. And... A minute ago when we were talking about you know, loving a friend through tragedy specifically, Shelly has spent time with two different families, at least, maybe three. And she's been there as a child uh, on the heart monitor. The heart monitor slowly goes slower and slower. And Shelly's been there as the child has passed away. And she's been there as the mom doesn't want to see her mom or her husband. She just wants to see Shelly and drapes herself on my, on my wife and says, how am I going to do it? That, that has, that's nothing about me. It's about knowing that there's another woman that has a clue about losing their child. And that they might be able to give you a nugget of, of hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Shelly can grab the mom and put her hands on her face and say, you can do it because I did it. And the same Christ that lives in me can live in you or does live in you. And so it's just this special fellowship of the suffering that happens when somebody has suffered similarly and deeply, there's just a special bond that happens there. And so that's just, that's something that we are blessed to be able to do as well. 
it's an honor. Yeah. So, guys, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Oh, we did it. Woo! And so I guess that's really what our hope is, is just that this podcast would continue a dialogue. It would bring you maybe as a front door into our ministry, and it would be able to help you carry on this conversation, maybe even with us, if we were lucky enough to have that. So then you can go to our blogs, which are at jsbfm.org. And actually, there's a blog that references a bunch of this stuff that you heard about today. Um, One of the comments that Shelly got on that blog post was this. I don't like saying this is wonderful advice because I hate that you've had the experience that have taught you what you've shared with us. But this is wonderful. I related in a small way with your suggestion to allow and even create space for destruction. After my third miscarriage, all I wanted was a sledgehammer. Immediately after we found out that we had lost a baby, yet again, I visualized dozens of windows in my backyard, all propped up in a row, and smashing them into shards. I can't even imagine how loved I would have felt if someone would have arranged that for me. These are such practical things. Thank you for sharing them. The one thing that just totally stuck out to me is that she said, I can't imagine how loved I would have felt if someone would have arranged that for me. Yeah, that's really good. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. This is who we want to be as a ministry. Sackcloth Conspiracy is an outgrowth of Josh and Shelley Buck Family Ministries. And this is our verse that we cling to day after day. It's in 2 Corinthians 1, starts with verse 3. So you can look it up on your own sometime. Make sure that you check out our website, www.jsbfm.org. And if you want to get in touch with me with any questions you might have concerning this podcast or any podcast, josh at jsbfm.org. Thanks for listening.